I have some special guests to not only entertain you today, but to lead you to worship and to bring the Word of God. I've known these young people. Uh, I said to their oldest daughter today, Bonnie, I said, I've known your mom and dad when they were your age. And so that kind of <laughs> been a while. And I'm not even going to say how long they've been on the evangelistic field. I will just tell you that uh, I know these young people, and they've been here many times. I don't want you to just be entertained by them. I want you to cause them to leave today wondering who helped who. So I want you to decide you're going to get involved, because let me tell you, Creston and Bridget can sing, and they not only can sing, they live what they preach and what they sing. They're like our own here. As a matter of fact, uh, uh, this young lady was raised here for about 10, 12 years, and uh, she used to be Bridget Green. She's now Bridget. And I'm going to tell you, Creston, uh, you married good, I think. I don't know about up, but I'm going to say good. Would you just welcome Creston and Bridget Tomlin in our sanctuary this morning? If it wasn't for the Lord, where would I be? Put your hands together. My life was nothing until he set me free. What a change he made in my life. No more compromising the wrong for the right. He made the difference. He made the difference in my life if it wasn't for the lord where would i be my life was nothing until he set me free yeah what a change he made in my life no more compromising the wrong for the right he made the difference he made the difference in my life i don't walk like i used to walk he made the difference i don't talk like i used to talk he made the difference yeah i don't live like i used to live he made the difference i don't give like i used to give because he made the difference he made the difference he made the difference in my life i don't walk like i used to walk he made the difference yeah i don't talk like i used to talk he made the difference i don't live like i used to live he made the difference i don't give like i used to give because he made the difference he made the difference he made the difference in my life he gives me joy that cannot be surpassed i'm on a cloud from the first moment to the last well he walks with me and talks with me telling me i'm his own there he calms all my fears telling me i am not alone he made the difference he made the difference in my life he gives me joy that cannot be surpassed i'm on a cloud from the first moment to the last well he walks with me and talks with me telling me i'm his own well he calms all my fears telling me i am not alone 
made the difference. He made the difference in my life. I don't walk like I used to walk. He made the difference. I don't talk like I used to talk. He made the difference. I don't live like I used to live. He made the difference. I don't give like I used to give. Cause he made the difference. He made the difference. He made the difference in my life. this season, one of the most impressive things to me is that all of the world is proclaiming the name of Jesus. Many of them are singing songs, rejoicing and bringing glory to the name of Jesus, and they don't even know what they're doing. But throughout this world, throughout this time, may this be a time when the church is able to shine a little bit brighter. And be able to remind people of the hope of Jesus Christ. And I am just elated to be here this morning and rejoicing with you as we give thanks to the Lord for all that he has done. It's overwhelming at times, isn't it? What, what he has done in our lives and how he has made such a difference and the change. I'm, I'm glad about it. And sometimes we're going to have to inform our face when we're walking through the traffic of the mall. I'm glad about it. I'm glad who Jesus is. I'm not going to throw a fit in the mall. I'm going to rejoice when someone else takes that parking place. <laughs> I'm glad about who Jesus is. And I'm going to take us back a little ways. I actually sang this song in this church many, many years ago. But it talks about such a, uh, a message that's so true to my heart. He has been faithful to me. strength was all gone 
Praise God. It is such an honor to be here at Christ's Legacy Church this morning. Now this is, and I know as young as I look, you can't believe what I'm about to say, but uh, this is our 21st year on the evangelistic field, full time. And I, I say that to say that uh, this church has been there from the beginning. The very first year that Bridget and I were on the field, I, your pastor called me and scheduled me to come. And I'll never forget that. And through the years, on a continual basis, this church has sown into this evangelistic ministry. And we honor you this morning because of your gifts of love and many more like you. It is no exaggeration that across this nation, throughout Europe, and our ministry we have had in the Middle East with the underground church and in Africa, all over the world, there are thousands of souls in the kingdom of God because of you. And uh, we thank you today. As Pastor was talking a moment ago about your, your tithing and your offerings to support the work of God here uh, to make this machine go. As every missionary and evangelist that comes through this pulpit to you, as you give and as you sow, you make it possible for those gifts to be in operation. The Apostle Paul told us that it takes all five of the ministry gifts to bring the body to full maturity. It takes the pastor, it takes the teacher, it takes the apostle, it takes the prophet, and it also takes the work and office of the evangelist. And while there are many pastors who are evangelistic, there is a special anointing upon the gift of the evangelist for the purpose of bringing in the lost. And we thank you humbly today for your sending us across this nation. Because the people of God have been so good, understand we do not have a fee when we, we are a faith ministry completely. We go to every size church, small, medium, and large, and believe God every week to bring in what we need. And there is a budget on paper that it takes for us to operate just like you. But every week we faith and believe God to supply the need to do what He's called us to do. And it's because of the goodness of God's people that we're able just to go. I get calls almost every single day, sometimes numerous calls a day from pastors across this nation that do not feel like they have the funds to be able to have an evangelist come. Because of your goodness to this ministry, we can just go. And so we thank you for making that happen. That is the heart of this ministry, to take the gospel wherever the door opens. And um, it's so humbling to be here today. We're thankful. I don't believe that this service is an accident. I do not believe that you are here by accident. I believe God is up to something special. I feel His presence in such a sweet way. In this service tonight, I believe the Holy Spirit is mixing a recipe for us. But He's up to something great. And I'm excited to see what God is going to do in these altars at the close of the service in just a little while. We love you. Thank you so very much for your continued support in helping us take this gospel, Pastor. Thank you, Creston. It's a privilege to receive these young people an offering today. I adjure you also to be faithful. I, I look back, frankly, over the years and watching Bridget and all the teenagers like you 
They used to be in the service in our church, faithful to the Lord, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, youth group. Let me tell you, uh, Bridget, I just want to stop and say thank you for being faithful. Thank you for <laughs> being faithful to a faithful God and to sing about him. And the brother and our children raised together, just I, I thank God so much for faithful people who do that. These young people could be entertaining in many, many places and frankly probably be making a lot more money than they do because they're that kind of talented as you can see. But I thank God that they're in the service for the King. Let's give to this evangelistic ministry today and ask God to bless it. Father, take our things today, Lord. Let us be able to be senders today that we might send them to other people. Father, that we might send them to the lost. For you have called them and they have answered that call. May we, Lord, continue to be a part and that we might share in the salvation of souls. All for the glory of our Christ, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. to know how to pray all you have to know this morning is how to say the name of Jesus mm -hmm. shouted voice or a whispered tone you might be in a crowded room or when you're all alone just lift your hand and say Jesus I need you right now Lord Jesus mm -hmm. Jesus To know how to pray. How to pray. Oh, you have to know right now is how to say. How to say. In fact, it's all right. Go ahead, lift your hand and say, Jesus. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Yes, Jesus. And I crowded voice in a crowded room, yeah, yeah. Oh, you might be in a crowded room oh, when you're all alone. Hey, just say, Jesus, I love you this morning, sweet Jesus. Yes, Jesus. How I love the name of Jesus. Every day he's the same. Yes, Jesus, Jesus. You are 
Yes, you are. Hey, hey, Jesus. There's power right now in the name of Jesus. My life will never be the same because of Jesus. He is my Savior and my Lord. Come on, sing it with me. You don't have to know how to pray. You don't have to know how to pray. How to pray. All you have to know is how to say. All you have to know is how to say the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. Oh, my, 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 yes, Jesus, in a shouted voice or a whispered tone, in a shouted voice or a whispered tone, in a crowded room or when you're all alone, in a crowded room when you're all alone, just say Jesus, just say Jesus. Sometimes that's all there's time to say. Depend on the situation. Oh, Jesus, Jesus. Hey, Jesus. How I love the name of Jesus. Every day he's the same. Yes, Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, you saw us from the cross, and you love my soul. Yes, you did. Hey, hey, Jesus, there's power right now in the name of Jesus. Our lives will never be the same because of Jesus. He is my Savior and my Lord. Hey, hey, Jesus. How I love the name of Jesus. Every day he's the same. Yes, Jesus. He's the lover of my soul. I'm so thankful. Hey, 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 Jesus. There's power in the name of Jesus. Never be the same because of Jesus. Jesus. He is my Savior and my Lord. Yes, He is. Oh, Jesus. He is my Savior and my Lord. Yes, Jesus. Jesus. 
my Savior and my, and my Lord. Oh, He is my Savior and my Lord. Well, I bless myself on that one. Hallelujah. You ever bless yourself? You ever come up to a stop, stop sign or stop light and you're just praising God in your car? You look up, everybody's staring at you? You know what I'm talking about. Take your Bibles, if you would, this morning. Find the book of Ruth. I want to say while you're finding Ruth, it is uh, really special to be in service with my sister and her husband, brother-in-law Bobby, and their kids, Christian and Leah, my niece and nephew. The other two are in children's ministry, Evan and Fabry. But uh, this is a rare treat because of um, our, our travels constantly. We rarely get to be in, in service together except maybe on a holiday time. And uh, they are a part of Christ's Legacy Church. And uh, so this just worked out great today for us to be able to be in service together. I love you so much. If the music you've heard today has been a blessing to you, you can take us home with you. Uh, after what you've heard, you might not want to. I don't know. But uh, if something has blessed you, we have uh, six different CDs that are out there on the table. We have a brand new CD just out. Uh, the song that I just sang uh, about the name of Jesus called Lover of My Soul is on a CD called Draw Me Deeper. And I promise you that these, uh, this music will be a blessing to you. You know, a whole lot of folks in our churches drive up and down the road, you know, listening to D-I-V-O-R-C-E and wondering why they're oppressed. Wondering why they're depressed. Wondering why their spirit is agitated. Because our spirits are sponges. And what we listen to goes directly into our spirit. And so I encourage you to get hold of some stuff that's going to lift you, going to encourage you, going to strengthen you. And um, any CD out there is $10. You can get two for $18, three for $25, four for $30, five for $35, or you can get all six for $40. So we try to make them as affordable as possible. Uh, if you just don't have it today, you pay what you can. If you, need a, if you want a CD and just don't have it at all, we'll give it to you, okay? We want you to be blessed by this music. I have felt very strongly about this service this morning and what I am to bring to you. The message I have prepared, I believe, given to me by the Holy Spirit is entitled, There is no bread in Moab. There is no bread in Moab. My heart is very heavy this morning for people who have once known Jesus Christ but are backslidden. My heart is very burdened this morning for people who would have known Jesus Christ and they're lost. And I want to preach to you from my heart this morning along those lines, but also encouraging every one of us afresh and anew to understand today that this world has nothing for us. 
We understand that Satan is a professional at dangling the carrot, trying to pull us out of the house of bread into Moab. We're going to talk about it this morning. The book of Ruth. If you have not studied the book of Ruth, I encourage you to do so. It is an incredible and beautiful love story. It is a picture of what Jesus would do for us. But I want to use the first few verses as a backdrop to bring this message to you this morning. Uh, chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Ruth. Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to sojourn in the country of Moab, he and his wife and his two sons. And the name of the man was Elimelech, and the name of his wife, Naomi, and the name of his two sons, Malon and Chilion, Ephrathites of Bethlehem, Judah. And they came into the country, I want you to hear that, and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. And Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left and her two sons. And they took them wives of the women of Moab. The name of the one was Orpah, and the name of the other Ruth. And they dwelt there about ten years. And Malon and Chilion died also, both of them. And the woman was left of her two sons and her husband. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law that she might return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the country of Moab how that the Lord had visited his people in giving them bread. Wherefore she went forth out of the place where she was and her daughters-in-law with her, and they went on the way to return unto the land of Judah. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of your word. Lord, even as we read your word out loud, we sense and feel the power of your word. It shoots like an arrow into our spirit. It cuts the issues of life open. Lord, I thank you for the love of Jesus that I feel in this room. I thank you for your mercy that was new when the sun came up this morning. Lord, I pray for the convicting power of the Holy Spirit that would be felt from anyone who Moab is calling their name today, trying to get their attention. Maybe someone here today, Lord, has already been taking some night trips over to Moab. Maybe nobody knows what's going on. Oh, Holy Spirit, arrest their heart, helping them see by your love that but there's nothing there but ultimate destruction I pray, Lord, for every saint of God that is serving you that we would hear again the truth that there's nothing for us in Moab. And may we leave here today, Lord, with the attitude, with the constitution in our heart and our spirit that says nothing or no one can buy me out, can talk me out of the house of bread. I thank you for your presence, Lord. We'll be careful to give you all the praise and the glory for everything that's done. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. This particular time in biblical history was during a 400-year period where the children, after the children of Israel had entered into the promised land. It was a very dark time. It was a very difficult time. A very barbaric time. 
The last verse, verse 25 of the book of Judges, the previous book in the Word of God, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So you can imagine the temperature of the day. It was very hard, very difficult, dark time. And so basically what would happen is, is God's people would sin, and then God would allow their enemies to overtake them, and then God's people would cry out to God for mercy and help, and God would raise up a judge to judge and lead His people. In case you did not know it, Bethlehem, and as we're going into the Christmas season, uh, if you did not know it, Bethlehem literally means the house of bread. And I think it's awesome and interesting this morning that the bread of life, Jesus, was born in the house of bread. But for our purposes this morning, Bethlehem is going to represent just that, the house of bread, the house of favor, the house of blessing, the house of of protection. When you begin to study Moab and the history of Moab, it doesn't take very long to understand just how far it is from Bethlehem to Moab. You recall that when Lot was leaving Sodom and Gomorrah, as the angel showed up and said, you've got to leave and you've got to leave now, as Lot with his wife and his two daughters would exit Sodom and Gomorrah running out of the city as the wrath of God was about to fall on those cities for their gross immorality and homosexuality. And so as they're running, you recall that the angel gave them explicit instructions, very direct instructions to not look back. But most of you recall that Lot's wife took one last glance at Solomon Gomorrah and she instantly turned into a pillar of salt. The Bible says that Lot and his daughters kept running and they ran to a little place called Zoar. It's very interesting that Zoar means insignificant. But a place that was seemingly so insignificant became very significant as it was there that Lot's daughters hatched the plan to get their father drunk. And although it's, uh, it's, it's, not, it's hard to talk about, not easy to say, but the Bible in its reality, what happened here is that Lot's daughters said all the possible husbands have been destroyed by the wrath of God and so there's no way for us to have any children so they concocted a plan to get their father drunk and both daughters committed incest with their father and both of those daughters ended up having baby boys. The oldest daughter, her son, was named Moab. So understand Moab was the child out of this relationship of incest. The younger daughter, her son's name was Ben-Ami. He was the father of the Ammonites. You recall that the Ammonites were never allowed to come into the house of God for two reasons. The congregation of God, they were not welcome. Number one, they did not give God's people bread and water when they left Egypt. And second of all, they were the, the people who tried to pay off Balaam to curse God's people. So because of those two reasons, they were not allowed. So you see, it's a long way from Bethlehem to Moab. And when you look at the meanings of the primary people involved in this story this morning, it is very powerful. Elimelech the father, his name means my God is king. Naomi means pleasant and lovely. Malon, the son, one of the sons, his name means pardoned or forgiven. Chilion, the second son, his name means complete 
are to be made perfect. And isn't it true that while we're abiding in the house of bread, our God is king. That even in times of difficulty, things are pleasant and lovely in his presence. That we are pardoned and forgiven. We are complete and made perfect in him. So for the next few moments, I want us to have a fresh understanding of the process a person goes through to leave the house of bread and find themselves in Moab. A person does not backslide overnight. There is a pattern of decay. There is a series of choices and decisions, actions that a person makes to walk out of the house of bread. And I want to talk to us about this this morning. The first thing that happens is distraction. Distraction. Verse number 1 says that there was a famine in the land. A famine in the land. No matter how long you've been serving God, every Christian this morning that will be honest with you will tell you they have gone through seasons of dryness in their walk with God. Every one of us have had times of dryness. Every preacher that will be honest with you will tell you there are seasons where the messages are just dripping four, five, and six off the vine. You can't write fast enough. It's just like revelation. The Lord is speaking to you. And then there's other seasons where it doesn't feel like you can dig up a fresh word with a pick and axe, a shovel, and praying all night. And it's during these seasons of dryness that the enemy shows up and presents his offer of distraction. Attempting to convince you and attempting to convince me that there's something better in Moab than what we have in Jesus Christ. That after all, if Jesus really loved you, you wouldn't be going through this. If you really meant something to this so-called Savior in your life, He would not have abandoned you. And He begins to prey upon our feelings. It's in these seasons of dryness, sir, when that woman at work that's attractive that you see every day and a little bit looking at you for the past several days or weeks in that certain way, making it known that if I'm available, if you're available, and the enemy says, hey, you deserve this. You don't need that wife at home. You need her. It's in these moments, ladies, when that attractive man has been paying you the right kind of attention in just the right way and making it also known to you that they're interested. And it's then the enemy comes and says, hey, why don't you take advantage of this? That husband at home isn't treating you right anyway. You deserve this. The enemy always has honey in the carcass. He's a professional at attaching beautiful things to dead things. You recall Samson in that Nazarite vow. The second thing he was not supposed to do in this vow of separation. And living a life of difference. And always understand that this life of separation, family of God, is not so much a separation from the world as it is separation unto God. And he was not supposed to touch a dead body or any unclean thing. And I would say the carcass of a dead lion is probably pretty dirty. But he happened to be hungry and he just finished this incredible slaying. And 
He sees the carcass there. The honeycomb is attached. It doesn't seem like that big of a thing. And he's distracted by his hunger. So he goes on to touch the unclean thing to get to the honey. All oh, the enemy, young people all talk more about it. But he's always got 30 more pieces of silver trying to buy you off. He, he's always trying to give us something else than what we need. In Judges chapter 4, Sisera, the captain of Jabin's army, was weary and tired from fighting a battle. And let me say this this morning. You and I particularly have to be careful when we're tired and weary. When we're tired physically, when we're tired spiritually, when we've been in an emotional or spiritual struggle, and we're, we're weak maybe in our mind. We have to really watch ourselves in those moments. The most dangerous time for a preacher of the gospel is when he's tired and weary from fighting the gospel fight and preaching the word of God. And Sisera is tired and he looks and sees this woman waving at him in front of a tent. Her name was Jael. And she yells at him and she says, Hey, I'm on your team. I know you're tired. Come on over here to my tent. In a moment of not being alert at his post, not paying attention and distraction, he comes over to this woman waving at him. And she says, hey, it's interesting that Sisera in that you need to go back and read it in Judges chapter 4. He asked for milk, but she, he asked for water, but she gave him milk instead. The enemy's always trying to give us something else than what we know that we need. And so in that moment of being tired, she says, come on inside. Here's some milk. Why don't you lay down and take a nap? I know you're weary. I'll cover you up with a blanket. I'll watch the door. You just rest. Sisera drinks the milk. He lays down. He gets warm and comfortable and makes a fatal mistake. He falls asleep. And while just about the time he gets to snoring real loud, she takes a hammer and a tent peg about that long and drives it through his head and it comes out his temple on the other side into the ground. We don't think initially that being, distraction, being distracted is that big of a deal, but friends, distraction can be deadly. And in these last days, there is every distraction possible. I'm not just talking about sinful things. I'm talking about even things like hobbies that are not bad. Hobbies are good. They can be positive. But there are things that aren't necessarily bad that can get in the way of keeping our eyes upon the author and finisher of our faith. Because then we move to the second step, which is the decision, from distraction to the decision. Verse number 1 says, they went to sojourn in the country of Moab. Verse number 2 says, and they came into the country of Moab and continued there. They made the decision. Elimelech meant well. He, he, he left the house of bread and made the decision to leave and go to Moab. Now, I believe Elimelech did not probably intend to stay in Moab very long. I'm sure he probably thought, I'm just going to go to Moab long enough for this famine to end, and then I'll bring my family back. But verse number 4, at the end of the verse says, they stayed 10 years, they stayed a decade. And that is exactly how it is and how it works when we make a decision to walk out of the house of bread. 
When a person says, I'm just going to go to the club this one time. I'm just going to step out of my marriage this one time. I'm just going to get involved in this financial thing that's really not above board, but I need and want the money. It's just this one time. I'm just going to go get involved in this thing that I know is not right. But hey, it's just one time. How many people do we know? How Pastor Brooks could tell you person after person after person in all the years of pastoring this great church. How many people he's ministered to and preached to that made these kind of statements. I'm just going to do this. I'm just going to do that. I'm just going to do this one thing that I really know I shouldn't do this one time. And they say, I'll be back. I'll serve God later. And they're still in Moab this morning. How many of our precious young people understand the world always comes to the church to get all the talent because we got all the talent. And almost every winner of every major talent competition started singing for Jesus in the church. But the world comes to them and presents their offer with all of those zeros and they say to themselves, you know what? I'm just going to go sing for the world long enough to make a lot of money. I'm just going to go over here long enough to get this record deal. It's no problem. It's no issue. I'll be back singing for Jesus. And it's been 10 years. It's been 20 years. It's been 30 years. And they've never made it back to the house of bread because they signed their God-given ability over to the world to manage. And it looked wonderful and it looked it looked incredible oh I can't let this this opportunity pass me by and they may be making a lot of money but it's cost them living in the house of bread with the anointing and the favor of God upon their life which can never be bought I know what it's like I know I don't look like much but I used to have hair and I used to be good looking I remember what it was like at 19 years old. And a major record executive sat in front of me and pushed a contract over the table at me and had a check paper clip to the top, I'll never forget it, with a whole lot of zeros on it. And said, Creston, you're just what we're looking for. We want you to sing this easy listening soul pop music. He said, you're going to make a lot of money in a short amount of time. And then he said, you can still sing your Jesus songs, but you can do this too. Sounded just like the devil. And I knew instantly, there's no way I could ever do that because I gave the Lord my word. I would always use the gifts he's given me for his glory. When I refused that offer, that man looked at me like I had lost my mind. He said, don't you understand? You're 19 years old. This will never happen again. And he put the contract and the check back in his briefcase. And he turned and walked off. And when he got to the door, he turned and looked at me, just shaking his head. He said, man, you are missing it. You are crazy. I want to tell you something, young people. You listen to me. The world's blessing can never compare to the blessing of God upon your life and the favor of God upon your life. Let me tell you, the world's got an offer for you. It may may not have come to you yet, but trust me, it's coming. There'll be an offer of some kind in some way that'll be presented to you that is not the will of God and the enemy wants you to accept it, to miss it. Don't you dare say yes to the, the offer of the enemy. Don't you say yes to Moab. You'll never regret staying in the house of bread because Moab is a spider web. We don't think much about spider webs. 
And when I'm riding my horse, I just kind of shoo them out of my way and don't think about it. But a, a spider web is a phenomenon of catching prey. And the spider weaves the web and then goes to take a nap. And then the fly comes by. And the fly says, I know I shouldn't land on that spider web. My other fly family and friends have landed on that spider web and they never made it home. But I'm young. I'm fast. I can handle this. I know I shouldn't, but I'm going to start drinking with my friends. I know that I shouldn't, but I, I'm going to get involved in the casino and betting the money that God's entrusted to me. I'm I, I just, uh, don't amen me while I'm preaching good this morning. I'm not, I'm going to, I know I shouldn't, but you know, I've got this opportunity, but I know that God's not in, but you know what? The Lord will let me buy with it this time. I know I shouldn't say yes to that. I know, I know, I know. I know I shouldn't date that young man because he's not committed to Jesus. I know I shouldn't get involved with that young lady because she's not committed to Jesus. I know I shouldn't be running around with, with this particular group of people because they don't stoke the fire of God in me. They're trying to put it out. But you know, that spider web is so comfy. It appeals to my flesh. I like it. That's because our flesh, oh yeah, our flesh wants to be gratified. That's why things like fasting are so important for believers. To squelch our flesh. And the fly lands on the spider web and puts his hands behind his head. Oh, this just feels so good. <laughs> Woo! Because the pleasures of sin are fun and enjoyable for a season. They are. And everything's going wonderful for that fly that's landed on the web. And then all of a sudden the spider wakes up from his nap and says, let's go see what my traps caught me for dinner. And the fly realizes the spider's coming. But all the time he's enjoying himself on that spider web, he forgot that the material that that web is made out of is designed. The more you move in it, the more stuck you get. So the more it tries to get itself out in its own power, it expends all of its own energy until it's exhausted. And then the spider just walks over to it and sucks the guts out of it. That's exactly how Moab works. It weaves its web. It's so attractive. It's so alluring. And then when we get good and stuck and entrapped in this life we shouldn't be in or involved in this thing we shouldn't be in or trying to convince ourselves that, that, that it's okay and, and we're getting by for a time because God's grace is, is so incredible and God's mercy and people are praying for us and pastors preaching the word and because we're getting by with it we think it's all alright. And then... The enemy comes and sucks the life, the plans, the dreams to hinder and stop the plan of God in us. Then we come to the third step. 
discouragement. Discouragement. The distraction then leads to the decision, then to discouragement. Anytime Moab is mentioned in the Word of God, it's never good. Every time Moab is mentioned, somebody's crying. Somebody's hurting. You recall when God called Moses up to Mount Nebo and showed him the promised land, and then God himself buried Moses? And the people of the children of Israel were camped where? In Moab, on the edge of the promised land. The Bible says they cried for 30 days and 30 nights. How many people do we know of this morning in our families were concerned for? On the edge, the very precipice of something awesome God had for their life. And today, they're more discouraged. They're crying day and night. Nothing has panned out in Moab like it was supposed to. Nothing has quite worked out. And they're thinking, what what happened? It promised so much. What happened? All my dreams were supposed to come true over here. And reality is setting in that it wasn't what it was supposed to be and that the devil has lied to me again. If his lips are moving, he is lying. That's why, friends, you and I, have got to stay in the house of bread. Don't you dare even think about walking out of this house of bread. Don't you dare even consider or contemplate walking out. And I I feel impressed this morning to tell somebody right now, somebody who feel like you've had a raw deal, somebody who's who's been frustrated because... Uh, you know, everything isn't perfect in the church as a whole and you're discouraged and you're just kind of down on everything and, and Pastor Brooks isn't perfect and that evangelist up there isn't perfect and the church isn't perfect and, and uh, you know, you just don't know about it all and the devil's got about you halfway thinking you ought to just quit on the whole thing. Well, it's not perfect because you're in it too. And the enemy wants to come and build a fire under offenses. <laughs> He wants to build a fire under those fittings that you're having because somebody let you down or, this, or, or the situation. There's a whole lot of people I'm talking to right now that are really down on the church. They're down on the condition of the church. They're down on everything because everything's not perfect. I want to tell you, yeah, the church is imperfect. Yes, we're imperfect. Yes, there's misunderstandings here and things being mishandled over here. But I'm going to tell you, I'm staying in the house of bread. I'm staying in the church. It's the church that Jesus bought with his blood. It's the church that that Jesus is going to come back and rapture out of this world. Don't you dare leave this house of bread. You stay in this house of bread because if you walk out of the house of bread, you'll not be able to have a Brook Cherith experience when you need it. You recall Elijah in a famine that he himself prophesied. God said, I want you to go down to the brook Cherith. I'm going to take care of you. You're going to drink from the brook. And the Bible says that God caused ravens, a dirty, unclean bird, to bring him meat and bread in the morning and meat and bread in the evening because Elijah went where God said to go and he stayed there. If we'll just be obedient, if we'll just stay hooked up when things aren't going well, when we're going through through a hard time we're dealing with the season of sickness or somebody's talking about us or there's a split up somehow in our family and things are not well don't you dare quit on God if you'll stay at the brook he'll keep feeding you he'll even cause 
people that don't even like you to help you. I've had people that don't even like me send me money for my ministry. I've had people that don't even like me help me and bless me. If we'll stay hooked up, God will give us bread in the morning and bread in the evening. But if you walk out of the house of bread, the sustaining power of God will not be there. Hallelujah. Then number four, that's a discouragement. I've got to hurry. Leads to division. Division. Distraction. The decision to walk out of the house of bread. Then to discouragement and then the division. It's interesting in verse 14 and 15. I wish I had time to preach all this this morning. It says in verse 14, they lifted up their voice and wept again. And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clave unto her. Elimelech and his wife Naomi lead their family into Moab. The two boys, once they get to Moab, marry Moabite girls. But then the husbands die, all of them. And Naomi's left with her daughter-in-laws. And when Naomi gets the word that there's now bread being served in Bethlehem, she says, we got to get back to Bethlehem. We'll, we'll get there in a few minutes. we, we got to go back. There's bread there. And Orpah kisses her mother-in-law and says, I love you, but I'm staying here. I'm, I'm staying in Moab. I'm not going to go with you. The point I'm making to you is this, is Moab will split your family up. Moab will splinter your family. It will cause division in your family. Fathers, mothers, grandparents, we cannot lead our families into Moab and expect a positive outcome. We cannot willingly get involved in ungodly things and expect somehow it's all going to turn out well. Let me tell you, it takes all the faith we can muster and the help of the Holy Spirit to raise our kids to serve Jesus Christ when you're trying to do everything right. Much less making willful decisions to, to be about things and do things and be a part of things that are questionable. You know, it's amazing how many of our families allow a first grader's t-ball schedule to determine whether or not they're going to be in God's house or not. It's amazing when it comes around hunting season. It's not wrong to enjoy hunting, but I know men that but I love and appreciate that miss weeks on end during hunting season and, and they're not faithful to the house of God. I know people that are good people, but they allow hobbies that are not bad to completely overtake them. And they get in these seasons. I know people that tell their pastors, well, it's May. We'll see you in September. We're lake people. And so what they don't realize is, is that for weeks on end, they're teaching their children how to be unfaithful. They're teaching their children how to not live for God. And then when their children don't want to be faithful, they don't understand. And they want Pastor Brooks to fix it in 10 minutes in his office. There are seas... Mom, dad, grandparents, we have to make a decision to place the things of God above the temporal things of this world. 
It's not wrong to play ball. It's not wrong to hunt. It's not wrong to ride a horse. It's not wrong to farm and enjoy those things. But they have to have their place. It's interesting that Orpah, you know what Orpah's name means? Stiff-necked. Stiff-necked. And it's interesting that Orpah, she, it's Jewish tradition. Understand, the Jewish people use the book of Ruth to teach their children. And Jew, it's not in the word of God, but Jewish tradition says that when Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye and says, I'm staying here in Moab, and she leaves, Jewish tradition says that she was overtaken by some thieves and she was robbed and raped. And she ended up conceiving a child from the rape and the child's name was Goliath. That's what Jewish tradition said. But isn't it interesting that when Ruth was posed with the question, are you going or staying? Ruth said, I was raised in Moab. All I've ever known is Moab. But I'm smart enough to know that if there's bread in, the, in Bethlehem, where you go, I'm going. Where you lodge, I'm lodging. I'm going where you go. And because Ruth made a decision for the house of bread, she was eventually then brought into the family and redeemed by Boaz. you got to study that out. And, because, and, her and Bo, she and Boaz had a child whose name was Obed. Obed had a son whose name was Jesse. Jesse had a son whose name was David. Isn't it interesting what decisions can do? Oh, whatever. You may be looking at me this morning saying, Creston, all I've ever known is Moab. All I've ever seen is Moab. All I've ever experienced is sinful things. I was taught how to sin. Sinful things were lived in front of me. I want to tell you, no matter what background you have, where you're from, what you don't know, or what you think you know, if you'll say yes to Jesus Christ and vote yes for the house of bread, you can have the blessing and favor of God upon your life and live in the fullness of the goodness of of God. Hallelujah. Division. You gotta be careful, mom and dad, what you go pay good money to watch. You gotta be careful, mom and dad, what you allow to be watched in your house and listened to in your home and promoted in that house because it does have an effect. And number five, disgrace. When a person is distracted, they never believe that there'll be a disgrace. Verse number 21 is very powerful. Listen to what Naomi says. She says, I went out full, but I've come home empty. I left the house of bread full, but now I'm empty. If we leave the house of bread, we will be empty. Oh, it's hard, hard to leave Moab. Understand that in this time of the Bible, for a woman to be barren was a disgrace. And because their husbands died, Ruth or Orpah, neither one were able to have children. And so people looked upon other women who were childless 
as a disgrace. They were not fruitful. So understand what I'm saying to us this morning. If we walk out of the house of bread, we will not be fruitful. We cannot fulfill the plan of God for our life. We'll never ever get to the place we were meant to be and born. You were born to serve the Lord. Do you hear me? You were born to serve God. You were born to have his blessing on your life before you were knit together in your mother's womb. He knew you. And the enemy tries from birth to steer people away to, number one, not even believe there is a God, but, number two, believe that what he has is not for them. Disgrace, not fruitfulness, but fruitlessness. We never bear the fruit we were born to bear if we walk out of the house of bread. Right now my mind is being filled with people that were talented and gifted at the touch of God on their life, but they got distracted. People had confidence in and faith in. I sat at the funeral of a young man just a few weeks ago. My heart torn into a million pieces. A man, young man that was, had the touch of God on his life. God had totally radically saved him, transformed him, pulled him out of a life of sin. The most awesome things I've ever seen in my life. God saved his family. The blessing of God was on him. God healed him of a back problem he had had all of his life. I watched it before my very eyes. God's hand was on that young man. And he got distracted. He got his eyes off of his purpose. And the enemy convinced him somehow that God wasn't blessing him like he was blessing other people. So he just said, well, this is just not for me. And he turned his back on God to the point of being so, so blasphemous. To the point of almost crossing the line. Making fun of the things of God. Horrible, vile language out of his mouth. Cursing. Just a few weeks ago, riding his motorcycle, suddenly lost control instantly, went into eternity. He had become a disgrace. He was embarrassing the person he had become. It was so vile and so wicked when I... Knowing him and the way I had known him of what God had done in his life. A man had, another gentleman I'm thinking of right now, had touch of God in his life, so anointed, wonderful man of God, powerfully used in the prophetic, was a very, very good golfer. And started playing golf with a certain group of people. and So they just started doing some things and betting on a few holes. And it seemed so innocent. And he was pulled in their group and they invited him to a party at one of their homes. And he got there and cocaine was there. And so he said, oh, it's no big deal. I'll just try this one time. After two parties, he was a hopeless addict. Pulled him into that life. He lost everything. 
Friends, it doesn't take long. And here's where we make the mistake. You and I do not take stock of ourselves often enough. We must daily ask the Holy Spirit to take inventory on my life. To look in the mirror and say, oh God, if there's anything in me that is unlike you. We give ourselves too much credit. We're like Samson too many of the time. That'll never happen to me. I'll never do that. That, I, 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 that, that, that's the kind of thing where you, you'll never see that from me because of such and such and such and such and with spiritual arrogance we give ourselves too much credit it doesn't matter if it's you or if it's me any one of us that take our eyes off Jesus and, give, and walk in spiritual arrogance for a moment can find ourselves where we never thought we would be there is no bread in Boab it's a mirage it's a lie I'm asking you right now, where are you living? Are you living in the house of bread? Is the bread of life living inside of you? Have you been in a process of making some decisions you shouldn't have made and you realize today by the convicting power of the Holy Spirit, uh, I can't keep going this direction. I can't keep doing that. I've got to cut that off. I've got to say no. I've got to slam the door and padlock it. I can't keep doing this. The mercy of God is in this room. The blood of Jesus is available today. This is not a message of pointing the finger at you. This is a message of encouragement. And I don't know where you're at. I don't know the situation in every person's life in this room. But I know this. If you've gotten away from the house of bread, you can get back there right now. You can say, you know what? I've gone far enough. But we have to have that prodigal son moment who got out of the house of the blessing of his father and got out there and had a lot of money to spend until he had wasted it all and found himself living in a pig pen. Never dreamed he'd be in that place. The Bible says he desired to eat what the pigs were eating but couldn't even eat that. And the Bible says that all of a sudden he comes to himself. He, he, he begins to realize, what am I doing here? Look what I had. I had the Father's house. I had the Father's blessing. I had the Father's favor. I ate well. I dressed well. Shoes on my feet, a ring on my finger. What am I doing here in this pig pen? And the Bible says he stood up and headed back home. That's all you have to do this morning. It's, it doesn't matter where you've been, how ugly it may have been, what it looks like. You just got to have the gumption and the guts to say, you know what, I've been wrong. This is a mistake. I've been going the wrong direction. And if you'll take one step toward Jesus, he'll come running your way. You say, I'm coming home. I'm coming home to you, Lord. I'm tired of living this way. I'm tired of living a double life. I'm trying to act one thing in church and live another life. I'm giving all that pet shop game up. I'm coming home to Jesus. Let me tell you, parents, something this morning quickly before as our musicians are coming. If you have a child that's away, how many of you parents, you've got children that are away from God this morning? You've been praying for them for a long time. I'm going to tell you something. There's three things that the father and the prodigal son did not do we need to emulate. Number one, he did not chase his son into Moab. It's hard not to do that, but we can't do that because it will expend all of your energy and your joy. 
Number two, he did after the initial giving of the inheritance, he did not throw one more dime toward it. And some of you today have lost children, have drained your, your, your money trying to fix it all. Until a person comes to the place where they come to themselves, it will only enable them. And number three, he did not make excuses for his son. You don't need to be embarrassed to just call an ace and ace and say, my child is lost. My son, my daughter, whatever the situation it just says the father was waiting every day expecting his boy to come home. You're going to pray. We're going to believe God. And we're going to pray for your children today. Where are you living? 